This sermon, Blessed to be a Blessing, was preached by Tim Lambros on Sunday, June 11, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, good morning. If you want to open up your Bibles to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. While you're going there, it's written that Abe Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, said to a close friend about the Psalms, they are the best. I find something in them for every day of the year. So we are three weeks now into our sermon on the Psalms, so it's not too late to share a couple of fun facts about the Psalms. Did you know the Psalms are the longest book of the Bible? The Psalms also contain the shortest chapter of the Bible and the longest chapter of the Bible. The Psalms are more quoted in the New Testament than any other book of the Old Testament. And then, of course, the Psalms contain what is probably the most quoted Bible text in all of Christianity and even amongst the secular world. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and so forth. Martin Luther simply said above the Psalms, it's the Bible in miniature. So as you stand and we read our text today, Psalm 67, let's just freshly be aware of what a unique contribution this is to the canon of Scripture. Psalm 67, verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his, fi- his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Take your seats as we pray. Lord, we thank you for this unique contribution, this unique genre that adds to the glory and majesty and amazement of your word. But Lord, we don't want to just be in awe of a book of the Bible. We want that word to be living and active and and, and addressing our hearts. So Lord, I pray for my heart. I pray for the church this morning that our hearts would be that fertile soil and plant the seed of this word on our hearts this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, years ago, I was a new believer, and uh, after a couple of months, we ended up going to a Southern Baptist church here in town, and we had a wonderful three or four years as new believers growing. And, and I thought about uh, uh, the, the whole stage and everything uh, of that church And in a very understated way, up front was their mission. And I remember one time observing it, and it was just in small print, 
in, I can't remember exactly because I'm very old, but uh, in some kind of frame or something, maybe around a window or something, I forget. But it just said, to know him and make him known. And I remember back then going, that's not very flashy. That's not very exciting. And yet, over the years, and I think it's the same for you, as you read your Bible, as you get used to and seeing what God's purposes are in this world, you realize that's a very profound, short, pregnant sentence of God's purposes in the world. And it actually reflects what we're going to learn in this psalm today. So in one sentence, here's what we're going to learn today. God pursued you so you could proclaim him. God pursued you so you can proclaim him. Just simply two points today to unpack this wonderful psalm. God's blessing to us, God's blessing through us for the note takers. Let me draw your attention back to verse 1. May God be gracious to us. May God be gracious to us. Now, we use that word grace. That certainly probably doesn't jump out of the text to you, but as a preacher, there's, there's few texts in the Bible that allow you to beeline to the cross as quickly as this one. We were actually cautioned in, in the pastor's college to don't try to be like Charles Spurgeon that sometimes just jumps to the cross and you're wondering how he did that. This, this, this is a beeline to the cross. If you're a believer in this room today, God has been gracious to you through his son, Jesus Christ. God has pursued you. God has acted upon your heart. Grace was manifested in your life. If you're not a believer, your starting point is right here, begging God for grace because he is a holy God and we are sinful people and you go nowhere apart from his gracious activity in your life. In this sense, the psalmist is praying for sustaining grace. God, continue to give us grace. May God be gracious to us. The best saints and the worst sinners unite in their need for God's grace. It's in the Sunday school version, the way I learned it, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God giving us his riches at the expense of his son, Jesus Christ. And properly understanding grace is the death to any merit system, any legal case you might bring to the God, to God of your good works. Easy to overlook in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 with that great pronouncement of the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Some manuscripts simply say peace, goodwill to men. There must be peace between the sinner and a holy God, before any other benefits can flow. I love the Charles Wesley great hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to speak. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've reminded people of how God works. Because in the fifth stanza, I can't believe those hymns have six stanzas, but in the fifth stanza, the first sentence 
He breaks the power of canceled sin. That's how God operates. Grace and then power to put the death sin. He breaks the power of canceled, forgiven, reconciled to God type of grace when there's sin in our life. So God starts with everyone with grace. And then I want you to notice the object of this prayer. May God be gracious to us. Us. This is how we know the psalmist is talking about the people of God. This is why when we read our Bibles, we need to be careful that we don't over-personalize the scriptures. It can always revolve to, oh God, be gracious to me. Yes, that's certainly a personal prayer. But God saves you, pours out his grace on you, adds you to the people he's created for himself. And so many of the scriptures are we and us and they and them. Yes, he blesses and he is gracious to you as an individual. But now you are part of God's people. Now you are part of the people of God. In Israel's world, that was the nation of Israel. Today, our application is the church. The church is the people of God. And then these benefits that come after grace. This is an absolute wonderful formulaic way the psalmist does it. May God be gracious to us and here's what comes after reconciliation. Here's what comes after grace arrest our hearts and make his face shine upon us. Every believer wants more than just to be reconciled with God. We crave that relationship. It's it's what's put in our hearts. This is an echo of the old Aaronic blessing. This is the high priestly benediction from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. Let me read to you. Notice the verbiage. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is a prayer for all of us as individuals and certainly for us as the church. Grace comes to create this relationship and we want blessings. We, we cry out to God for more blessings, gifts, and more grace. Grace upon grace as John talks about it in his Gospel, but we want this and crave this relationship with God, His presence and His favor upon us as we walk with Him and wait for the, His coming to take us home. A really smart pastor theologian that you might know said it like this God's shining face represents His presence to bless and prosper. Like the sun shining down on the harvest, causing things to grow and be healthy and bear much fruit, so God shines his face upon his children, pouring out his grace and blessing. That's a great description of this prayer. Make his face to shine upon us. Give us grace, let us be reconciled, and give us these blessings, these gifts, these graces. That's the psalmist way of opening up this song that he wrote. It 
And make no mistake, the Psalms are songs. This was sung. This is why when we gather, we sing. We sing about these great truths. We sing our prayers at times. But as we think about this opening, grace, us, have God, your face shine upon us. Let me ask you a question here. Seems simple. Why did God's grace come to you? Why did God's grace come to us? Why does God bless us and shine his face upon us? No different than what he did with Israel. No different than he did with the people of God in the Old Testament. So that the blessing of grace that we receive can be streams of grace to the nations. And that's where the rest of this psalm goes. Second point, God's blessings through us. Notice the word that in verse 2. These blessings, grace, his favor comes to us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. God, in his creative purposes, in his plan, wants to be known throughout the earth. So let's pause there and ask a question. What are you known for? What are you known for? What do people know about you? I was at a company event a couple of Decembers ago, end of the year kind of a thing that the company does, and they picked a handful of employees, and they showed our picture, and then a word or a phrase that described them. And when mine went up, it said something like, he will make you laugh, or he will make you smile. And I thought, well, that's okay. At least it wasn't derogatory. <laughs> He'll make you grab your wallet. Uh, but but, but I, in my soul, I thought, boy, I, how I wish I was known for. He will point you to Jesus. He will stir a hunger for God's word. He will, whatever, you fill in the blank. What are you known for? What do people know about you? And if you think about it, to be known for something, you've got to be strategic and somewhat intentional to do that. So if you're going to create a name for yourself in today's social media, you've got to be intentional with Facebook. You've got to gather up the likes. You've got to do something on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. You're going to create a name for yourself you're going to bring some strategic and intentional application. Maybe for you, it's I'm going to be the most dedicated parents in my peer group. Or I'm going to be the most physically fit, ripped person in the next couple of years. I'm going to be the most financially, I'm going to be known for financial success. I'm going to be an educational achiever. The list goes on and on that we could give ourselves to. I thought about this this week, having been a fan and a follower of politics for decades. You know, people give their lives to be the speaker of the house, the president 
of the Senate. Can any of you even remember two or three of those in the last generation? Next to the president, very visible, and the vice president, fairly visible, probably the next most powerful man in our country is the chief of staff. They spend their entire political careers making a name for themselves to accomplish this. How many of you can list even a few of them? A few of those. Chuck Colson, he spent his life making a name for himself in the 60s. He was a known man in Washington, D.C. He built the name for himself. But he went to prison, and God's saving grace arrested him. And for the rest of his life, to the prisons primarily and beyond, he made Jesus be known. God changed what he lived for. He blessed him and brought grace to him so that that could flow to the nations. This is God's plan. That your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among the nations. This is God's plan, and it's been his plan all throughout history. God's purposes in this world, God's purposes in creating the world, God's purposes in creating you and creating I and creating us was to make himself known. This is very clear in Scripture. God's way from the beginning has been to pursue a people for himself and to make him known. And this psalm is no different. This, this psalm is rooted in God's historical plan. It goes back to Abraham. If you remember Genesis chapter 12, I want to read the text because you'll, you'll see similar language here. God pursued Abram before he changed his name. What was Abram? Abram was lost. Abram was barren. Abram was a wanderer. God pursued Abram and look at what he said. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. There's the pattern. David writes Psalm 67 hundreds of years later after God pursued Abram and made him a blessing to the nations. Israel is now a nation. Israel has now occupied the land. Most likely this author is David. And Israel can now sing and renew their minds of God's covenant-keeping promises. David didn't just come up with this plan and this idea for this song, for this psalm. No, no. He is rooting himself historically in what God is doing what God's purposes are in the world. So let's stop and ask a question. Well, how do we know that that wasn't just for Israel? How do we know that's for us? Let me try to answer that. Because it's easier to think, well, maybe God's plan changed. I mean, after all, Jesus Christ came. Doesn't that change everything? I want you to be confident that whether it's Abraham, whether it's the psalmist, whether it's David or in the New Testament, God's plan has not changed. And here's where that great hermeneutical principle can come into play. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. 
The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And we can see that in this idea of what is God's primary purposes in creating the world? What is God's mission? How are we involved in it? We can see this in the New Testament. Go and study Galatians 3 this week. Paul is there arguing justification is by faith alone for the glory of God alone. By grace, through faith, for the glory of God alone. And in chapter 3, verse 7, in the middle of that argument, he says this, Know then that is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed. In you, Abraham, all the nations will know my ways and my power and my gospel is what Paul is saying. And then he says another important point down in verse 16, really a direct connection to God's covenant promises to Abraham. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. He takes and argues Genesis 12 and beelines directly to Jesus Christ. The New Testament makes a clear connection that God's promises and God's covenants continue in the New Testament age. God wants to display his ways, his saving way, his gospel, his good news to the nation. It's just very clear now that it's centered on Jesus, the Savior, and his finished work. If you look back in the psalm, it says that your way, that short Old Testament shorthand for the gospel, that your way, your way may be known on the earth, your saving power that's the gospel of Jesus Christ made very clear in the New Testament. Dane Orland writes on this psalm, in Jesus and his work on our behalf, we see the length to which God would go to draw men and women everywhere into the blessing of enjoying the radiant face of God shining down on them. God pursued you just like God pursued Abraham. We sing about running a hell-bound race that God interrupts. Many of our testimonies are dramatic testimonies like that. Not everyone gets saved the same way. God bless parents that preach the gospel for decades to their kids, and they get saved and can't remember the day. That's a glorious testimony. But sometimes when God's pursuit, it's very dramatic when he gets a hold of our lives. And God does that so you and I can make known his saving power, make known his gospel to the nations. But you know, church, since the New Testament makes such a direct connection to Jesus in God's ways, for every believer here, we must stop and celebrate that there was a day that God did not shine his face upon his son. 
There was a day there was not favor granted to his son. In order for God to be righteous in pursuing Abraham, in order for God to be a holy God in creating a people for himself like Israel, in order for God to save a sinner like you and I, he had to turn and not cast his favor upon his son when his son cried out, why have you forsaken me? He did not bless his son. He did not show favor that he might show favor to the nations who would be drawn to him and be saved. God's way and God's saving power, using the language of this psalm, was fully revealed when he forsook his son so that he would be righteous in blessing you and I and shining his favor on us. If you're here today and you're not a believer, if you're here today, you're not sure you believe Jesus is the answer. You're not sure you believe you're a sinner in need of God's grace. Your starting point, going back to the beginning of the psalm, is grace. You are a sinner in need of God's favor, his grace. You have no place to come before him and ask for blessings and gifts and prosperity and his shining face upon you, your starting place is, oh God, grant me forgiveness of my sins that I might relate to you. If that is something that's stirring in your heart, even as a child who's been in this church for years, don't leave today without asking someone about that. Don't leave today when the Spirit of God might be at work in your heart. God has blessed you. God has blessed us so we can be a blessing. Like the text says, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. So when you read Matthew 28, that's not a new plan. Go out and make disciples of the nation. Jesus is just returning. Uh, 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 What's the word I'm looking for? Jesus is just renewing the covenant promise Israel had got lost. Jesus comes, he resurrects from the dead, and he gives them a mission that's very consistent all the way back to Genesis 12. We see it again in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses. Where? To the nations. God's plan has not changed. I want you to be convinced of that because of this great statement that Spurgeon said, the blessing of the Most High comes upon the world through the church. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Well, Tim, doesn't Romans 1 say that we know there's a God? Yeah, yeah, Romans 1 says you can see the creation and be, there's something way bigger out there than me. But you'll get saved as the gospel is preached, as God's ways are made known to you. The blessing of the Most High comes upon the world through the church. I want you to be convinced of that. God wants to be known to the world. God's way and God's method, His plan is to use those who have received His grace, received His blessing, those He has pursued, so they can proclaim Him. Another great quote from Spurgeon. Ignorance of God is the greatest enemy of mankind. Oh, I thought solving the budget deficit was the most important. Oh, I thought getting this economy going. Oh, I thought 
Getting that house purchase was the most important. Ignorance of God is the greatest enemy of mankind and the testimonies of the saints, experimental, that's old language for experiential, and grateful overcome the deadly foe. God has a set way and a method of dealing out mercy to men and it is the duty and privilege of a revived church to make that way to be everywhere known. That's, a, that's our mission. That's our mission. God pursues you so you can proclaim him. God pursues you so you can be on mission to proclaim him. Most people don't think you'd see that in the Psalms. But like Abe Lincoln said, there's something every day in the Psalms and today it's about God's mission. Let me show you what the rest of this looks like. Look at verse three. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You get the idea that God wants to be praised in all the world? The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. God wants to be known. And what does that look like? He's praised, he's enjoyed, he's revered, he's, he's feared all throughout the world. That is God's plan. And let me just hit the pause button for a minute because this can confuse people. If you're the only being in the universe that is absolutely pure, absolutely glorious, absolutely perfect, to promote and proclaim something other than your glories would be wrong. For me to promote myself would be wrong. For me to promote Jesus would be right. God promotes his glories so that people will praise him. It's good, it's right, it's holy. You got to read Piper to unpack that a little bit more. God wants to be praised. God wants to be enjoyed. God wants to be feared. That's his purpose in the world. And hopefully around here, you capture that that's our goal. We don't do big things on numbers. We're trying to be faithful we want to walk in God's purposes and plans to, in our small little way, make him known throughout the relationships we have. I didn't say this earlier, but I thought we probably should define nations. We make him known to the nations as we make him known to the three or five people that you're probably in significant relationship now. Yes, some people get called to go to the mission field. But for most of us, it's three, five, ten unbelievers that we know that might be family members, neighbors, workmates, whatever. That's how God's plan works out through his church. He wants the nations to praise him. He wants the nations to know him so they can praise him, enjoy him, fear him. I got an itch this week 
I lost track of the university professor that shared the gospel with me. And I was thinking about this pursued to proclaim. God pursued me and he used a university professor to share the gospel. I had one of those dramatic conversions. I believe it was December the 15th, 1980. And um, every year around that day, I would call him and we would together just celebrate God's grace and kindness, catch up on family. About seven or eight years, I lost track of him. He had one of these old emails. He'd been retired, you know, like Greg at earthlink.net or something like that and didn't have his phone number. And um, so I said, I'm going to make an effort here to reconnect. And man, I searched all over Facebook. I knew his wife's first name. I knew his only son's first name. Couldn't find anything. Went on LinkedIn. Couldn't find it. I actually paid for one of those reports. Like you have a name, you have a city or whatever. And for seven bucks, you know, I got like half a dozen phone numbers and emails. And I started to reach out through each of them. And about the second email, he responded the next morning full of excitement. And we set up a phone call Thursday morning. And he's about to turn 72. And he has been so faithful in the Southern Baptist system, your age group is uh, given a number, adult two is 20 years old, adult three, and he has faithfully taught in that system for years. Now he's at a community church, still has a small group, and the glory of that conversation was this. There was no sense that we were anything special. We were just part of God's plan in God pursuing me, a faithful servant was there who preached the gospel to Romans to me, asked if I was ready to repent of my sins. Five, seven minutes, God moved in on that. And as we traversed decades, there was just this sense of God's goodness. It, it, the conversation was a praise to him that he had made himself known to us, used us to make himself known to our families than anyone else over the years that would listen. And we had a wonderful conversation. And at some point in time through it, he says, you know, Tim, over the years, it just becomes more simple, more clear. It's all about Jesus. And we certainly agree and celebrated that. But church, our evangelistic mission in the church, getting more practical here, is God's way and method through us to reach some of those nations. Let me remind you of our mission statement. We exist. Why are we here? As a church, we exist to glorify God through the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two major arms. We demonstrate gospel changes in our lives and we proclaim the good news. This is our mission. When we talk about personal evangelism, we're talking about the proclamation side of that. And then, of course, the demonstration is what brings credibility to the words of our mouth. We want to grow in this as a church. We are growing 
in this as a church. God has made himself known to us, and we want to grow in making him known to all and any who would hear. Let me just take you through a quick review over the last year. We're trying to move this needle. We're using words like being more strategic, being more intentional. If you were a fly on the wall at our pastor's uh, retreat, there's sometimes hour plus given to one what you might think is a very small piece of the whole mission of our church but we are thinking sometimes interrupted with prayer sometimes interrupted with praise being strategic and intentional and as a pastoral team the kind of intentionality we bring to preaching and the preaching diet and the kind of intentionality we bring to community groups and the welcome and other ministry teams is what we are trying to bring to evangelism in our church. And I'm so grateful for these two men. Even Jim Donahue, when he was out here a year ago, commented that we're blessed. There's not very many pastoral teams, even in Sovereign Grace, that are so for moving the needle and growing in intentionality and strategic planning on the proclamation side of the church. So thank you, Derek. Thank you, Tom. So about a year ago, we kicked off uh, this ministry year with a weekend with Jim Donahue. If you're, that name doesn't ring a bell, he's been a staff uh, pastor evangelist in the Philadelphia church for 25 years. He's now starting to help other churches grow. He came out, he spent some time with us as pastors, our leaders, preached on Sunday morning to the church. So we meant to bring some personal equipping and instruction on evangelism there. We started our first bridge courses after that. Thank you, the McKenna's, Paul and Michelle. They did one in their home. Kathy and I did one in our home. Uh, and as we got to the end of the year, John Hone, the uh, a gentleman in our church that runs the culinary school at Gap Ministries approached us and said, hey, could we do a bridge course at Gap? I have a 10-week culinary school, 10 weeks of classes, and Robin Holton stepped up. Where's Robin? Robin, come in and listen to the sermon. Come in and listen to the sermon. Thanks, Robin, for stepping up. He did, a, he did two bridge courses down at uh, Gap Ministries, uh, this summer the singles are going through the bridge course material. Uh, I, I think probably coming up here at the end of one year, 30 or 40 people have been exposed to the gospel through this tool. And again, if you're not familiar with the bridge course, it's a tool created for believers, uh, unbelievers. It's a tool created for the lost because sometimes coming to church as your first step is really hard. Coming into a, 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 a structured class, an environment where they can ask questions and feel safe about asking hard questions is a wonderful tool that we use to complement your personal evangelism. One other thing that was kind of fun, uh, Karen Walsh's sister heard us talking about Bridge and on her own went and set up a class with 10 ladies and apparently a number of them got saved in that class. She's not part of our church, but it was great fruit from what we were doing. So very excited in this first year and probably the most exciting thing is today we're going to baptize Anna Summers, our first convert through these bridge courses. It's okay to clap. It's okay to clap robustly. 
I hope you'll stay afterwards for that baptism. So when we talk about personal evangelism, think God pursued me so I can proclaim him. God, pers- God blessed me because he wants me to be a blessing to others. Let me finish with some application here. Actually, I meant to point out, I studied this uh, at Derek's recommendation. I studied this in verse uh, 8. The earth has yielded its increase. And of course, in an agrarian society, they needed God's favor to bring increase. It's very parallel to us. We've simply faithfully proclaimed the good news. God brings the results. And how exciting that 30, 40, maybe 50 people have heard the gospel. Maybe they're getting saved and joining a church somewhere else, but we get to celebrate Anna today. Very fun to see that kind of effort this year yield some fruit. Here's an application question. This is pretty pointed. How can you be more strategic and intentional in your personal evangelism? I like those words because we use those in a lot of other areas. I like to put together fishing trips. I'm not one of these silly guys that just ride a motorcycle. (laughs) What do you get out of that? Oh, silly, serious. The intentionality and efforts and strategic planning, sometimes working with relationships to get some friends or a couple times I've been able to get a group of pastors to go, takes a lot of effort. So when I ask this question, I'm asking myself, can I be more strategic and intentional in my evangelism? Are you more intentional and strategic in planning your vacation, planning your next job, planning how you might get that degree, planning on how you might pay off debt? Have you ever made a New Year's resolution that says this year I'm going to be more strategic and intentional in evangelism? They never show up on the list. We can grow in that. You can grow in that. Think, how can I be more strategic and intentional in my personal evangelism? A couple of things just to make you aware. As a church, we're going to begin start, we're going to begin sharing our who told you testimonies. Probably starting in the fall, once a month or so, Begin to think and write your story. I I thought of my story this week. It propelled me to reconnect with Dr. Nelson. Think about your story. Who told you? I bet you there are some testimonies in here that multiple people God used to proclaim him to you. We want to celebrate that. God blessed those people. God pursued those people that they might, that God through them might pursue you. It's a wonderful testimony. Start thinking in terms of pursue and proclaim. We pursue relationships to position ourselves that when the Spirit leads, we can proclaim Him. I can't think of a better three words to capture God's purposes in the created world. Pursue and proclaim. I, I am praying that that phrase gets into our church culture and we know immediately what we mean from texts like Psalm 67 and Genesis 12. Pursue 
and proclaim. If I can have the worship team come up. I asked Brett if he could find the Hebrew on this psalm so we could sing this just like Israel did. I'm just kidding. But this is a psalm. It was sung. And when we sing, guess what we're going to do? We're going to praise him. We're going to be the peoples that praise him. We're going to enjoy him. We're going to fear him with the truths that we sing here. So let's stand and let's respond by singing as we think about the great truths of God pursuing us.